I don't know about you, but I get impatient with warm-up men. And if I'm honest, warm-up women are no better. Your ticket says doors open at 7pm, so you expect, reasonably enough, that the show will begin at 7.30, 7.45 tops. And you work out timings on that basis. Gulp down your creme brulee and scuttle off to the concert hall. Then you sit and have to listen to someone you've never heard of, and certainly never paid to see, strut their stuff. In the shadow of the star you did pay money to see. Now, of course, the warm-up act delights in being able to put on their CV that they shared a gig with this legend or that. And meanwhile, the loudest applause is for when they sing their final song and we can move on to the real business of the night. I know there's a programme called The Grumpy Old Men and I know I should be on it. The role of the warm-up man is a tough gig for you know deep down that really all eyes are looking up ahead for the headline act and you're merely being tolerated politely or politely until you just go on and on and the crowd gets restless and the grumpy old men begin to mutter to their companions that this is just ridiculous, just ridiculous. John the Baptist was, however, very content with his calling to be the warm-up man for Jesus of Nazareth, happy to be the one called to encourage his people to be prepared, to get ready. People get ready, there's a trainer coming. People get ready to get on board. We all understand that being prepared is not the same as making the preparations. With wedding stuff, the preparations can be all in hand, but are you the groom prepared? It's a different question addressed to the inner man or woman. And of course, we're never quite prepared, but we're still prepared. I have a friend and people in his church, well, made him bite this tongue, really, when they said to him recently, well, you'll not see us until the new year. We're getting ready for Christmas. It just reminds us of the importance of focus, keeping your eye on the ball, seeing to the heart of the matter. The main thing is to do the main thing. That was the insight thrown up by that old story about Martha and Mary and their tension. No disrespect to Martha, but the moment was there to be savoured, not lost in busyness, to sit at the master's feet and breathe in his truth and not be preoccupied with tasks. It might serve as an image of our whole life. I remember our Local headmaster Don Leddingham coming to speak to the men's group. He used to be the head teacher at the school and then he became the head of education for the region. But he gave it all up to work as a life coach and guru for top men and women in industry and policy making. Who were finding the balance, who were finding living rounded lives difficult. They found themselves in the situation of having all things and having nothing. Gaining the whole world and losing their own soul. Some things are too important to let slip by, to let them be crowded out by less important matters. In our frantic and pragmatic world, finding that groundedness in our living is a lifetime struggle. Prioritise. Prioritise. Judy Collins, the folk singer, can still strut it. I saw her in concert not so long ago, and she sang that hauntingly sad song, The Cat's in the Cradle which is all about a father who's too busy 
to spend quality time with his son, only to find that when he grows old, his son, now grown up, has no time to spend with him. A bitter circularity that serves as a warning of what can be lost when we make the grim mistake of not making space for the things that matter. Let them be pushed to the margins instead of being planted at the very heart of who we are and what we do. And all the more important to make space for the sacred, ring-fenced time for the holy things. So how do we prepare? What steps can we take? How do we safeguard the sacred? John the Baptist's strategy was to get away, literally to make space. One of our church members headed off to Cappadocia to follow in the footsteps of Simon Stylites up his hermit's pillar for weeks on end. Well, that's maybe not for the likes of us, I should think. Well, maybe for a time we could find a place. People take trips to Iona, Santiago de Compostela, but which failing? Taking time in the cathedral next door, finding a place, your place. This was John's concern, John the Baptist, that the message couldn't get through because of all the distractions, the excess baggage. The people of Palestine were not just occupied, they were preoccupied with their sins and their derelictions, with the despair and cynicism that comes from being a subject, oppressed pe people. Their religious bitterness, they had seen too many false dawns and fake messiahs. Oh no, they said, not another one. We've heard it, we've heard it. That lassitude that says, why bother, nothing changes, they're all liars and deceivers. Why engage emotionally with messianic hope? aspiration again this time only for it all to end in tears the emotional debris that people collect along the way the leftover feelings the residual damage that suffocates and cramps it all gets in the way a family i was visiting rather shocked me when they were talking about their deceased mother whose funeral i was to take and they said now don't forget mr drop to mention that she was an old whore I was a little taken aback. And I said, sorry? They said, she was an old hoarder. Hoarder. I'm glad we got that one sorted out. In here, we're all hoarders, whether we like it or not. All the negative messages, the haunting voices, the cruelties and the disappointments done against us, a regular cacophony of cackling criticism and wounding words. One thing you can't hide, says John Lennon, is when you're crippled inside. Who was going to be able to hear the good news of the kingdom of God in the midst of this strident chorale of raised voices? And again, John issues his urgent summons, a voice crying in the wilderness. This time it's for real. This is the big one. Be there. Let it reach you and touch you or regret it always. Listen up. Dunbar United Colts under-13 football team had got a new goalkeeper. The team coach had obviously told him that it was his job to keep the defence on its toes. So throughout the game, you would hear this breaking adolescence, high-pitched, low-pitched voice bellowing as best he can, Mark up! Mark up! Mark up! 
No doubt as he grew up, a few adjectives would be added, or, or rather adverbs or participles. Anyway, said with ten different intonations, urging the team to concentrate, to pay attention, to be alert, to be prepared, be very prepared. It's a wonder anyone nowadays gets anything deep and meaningful out of the Christmas experience. It's as if there's been a carefully choreographed conspiracy to make it well nigh impossible for the average Joe or Josephine to encounter the real experience of what it all means. We carry so much stuff with us into the encounter with Christmas. We take the tasks. This will be your busy time, people say to me. If I had a fiver for every time I've heard that said to me in the last couple of weeks. Well, it is my busy time, sort of, but nothing like the tasks awaiting the average family. Tasks and demands that eat into the capacity to explore Christmas as a serious moment for us. Valid tasks that will probably have to be done. Someone has to do them, and I won't go over them all in case you get depressed and get up and rush off home to attend to something I've just reminded you about. But what happens is that being prepared becomes less about making our lives ready to receive the Christ than it is about doing all the jobs that need doing before we can even entertain the thought of thinking about what it all might mean. And then there are the voices. Are you feeling a bit like Joan of Arc, hearing the voices around at this time? Buy this, shop here, use this card, take up this unrepeatable offer, come here and snag this bargain, eat out at this place. Don't forget to visit this unforgettable show. Make sure you watch that programme. Don't miss the films of Christmas. Balak's Air, everything you ever needed for a perfect Christmas. The voices sounding in our brain... Drowning out the angel's song, the clatter of the donkey's hooves, the lowing cattle, the swish of velvet as the wise men present their gifts, the cry of a child born in the night. So hard to hear the message. So many noises. Throw in the financial pressures, the worry about the budget meeting the demand, the expectations up again on last year. Apparently the average wish list of a child in Britain Last Christmas would cost £880 per child. Well, don't hold your breath, Mary and Sarah and John Twardle. It ain't going to happen. For many, the so-called flexible friend will have to be even more tantalisingly flexible. With all this circus going on around us, who can keep focused on the main thing? Complicate the equation with the emotional strain and drain of the festive season, when for all sorts of reasons, all sorts of people are feeling anything but festive. There will most surely be those still in mourning, those far away from the people they love, those families whose brokenness seems all the more jagged when surrounded by the goodwill and warmth of other people's lives, people carrying heavy loads of sorrow and hurting around with them and unable to see what is good and lovely about this time, what is special about it, except the special sharpness of loss and emptiness that it generates. Mix all those things together. And you have a recipe for a distracted, deadened, distanced experience of the birth of the Saviour. For so many people, it's so hard to get close to it, let it touch where they are tender. It's as if somehow it's happening over there for other people. 
As for me, sorry mate, too busy, too hassled, too fragile, too bad. So how can we help? Help each other, help other people get in touch with it all. Well, being here and doing this helps. Lighting our candles, singing our songs, hearing the story again in all its quiet beauty reminds us and reminds other people that there is a process happening, a journey in progress towards the heart. There is blessing and enrichment of our experience. Stopping to look and listen in the throes of pre-Christmas pressures helps us refocus, stop and take stock. Stop, look and listen, as they used to say. The worship experiences that we offer can save this season from becoming, for so many, just a mad whirly gig of frantic consumerism and unabashed commercialism. Listen, I've no problem with people coming to a Christmas carol service or pitching up on Christmas morning. I refuse to be cynical about this being some kind of tokenism, a nod in the direction of truth and meaning. The reality is, for many people, it will be as close as they come to the heart of the matter. They will be touching with their fingertips the edges of the gospel. And I wouldn't want to get all patronising and superior about that. The simple truth is that if we are not here doing our jobs as God's servant people, letting the story be told, announcing the good news, then for so many people it will be winter with no Christmas and Christmas with no Christ. So in a sense this is my busy time. It's also our busy time. When through the worship and the witness of the church, we can urge people to choose wisely just what event they will celebrate.